Hey everyone, I am Barrett Gruber, host of the All About Nothing podcast, and because you listen to my show, you know that our family grows with every guest. And one of our family has had a tragedy in their family that could use our help. Friend of the show and podcaster, the diligent dabber, host of the Dad Who Dabs, recently suffered a house fire. Now the damage is described as mostly exterior and attic, but the fire took out the electricity, which now requires they live in a nearby hotel. This family of four, diligent dabber, his wife, and two boys, six and eleven, and they're in need of help, and I'm asking for everyone's assistance. Please visit their GoFundMe page through this address, barrett.gr slash helpthedabber. Regardless of the amount, it all helps to get this family back into their home. Again, barrett.gr slash helpthedabber. Every single bit helps. Thank you very much for letting me interrupt. I'm Carrie. And I'm Chrissy. And we are Status Macabre. Recorded live from the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. This is Status Macabre. Hey, hey, hey. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. So it is freaking beautiful outside. It is, and I'm in here with a sweatshirt. Yeah, you are. It's and always cold in here. It is normally a little chilly in here, yeah. but we are having Easter mimosas. Yes, cheers. Some people, cheers. Some people are saying, um, and you maybe can relate to this, mm-hmm. some people are saying, I walked my dog earlier, I ran into a bunch of people at the park. Yeah. So some people are saying, um, Happy Resurrection Day. I Oh, my God. Have a um, glorious Resurrection Day. I've had. Because I'm yeah. like, you're, I don't remember your name. I remember your dog's name. Like, oh, oh here's Peaches. <laughs> Peaches, how are you doing, Peaches? Happy and, Resurrection Day, Peaches. And, and, you know, Dad or Mom are like, you know, Happy Resurrection Day. I'm like, yeah, Happy Easter, bitch. Why Moving are people on. saying that? I Because he... I, I know mean, it's a I pagan, get it. right? It's I a get pagan it. holiday. It. Is it? It. No, it's not pagan. No, I mean, but today it is, right? Did it happen today? Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I'm probably diving a little too deep into shit that I don't know about. But yeah. So, and you know, I'm not religious. Right. Not whatever. But you're a heathen. Yeah, I am a heathen. <laughs> you're a heathen. From the land of Florida. So if you guys are wondering. Oh, so it's like double whammy. <laughs> bam and bam. I mean, it could be worse. It could be California. No, Florida's still bad. It's still batter. I just it's said it's still really? batter. Okay, Ohio. <laughs> oh, touche. Touche. Happy Easter. It's gorgeous outside. Yes, I hope everybody's having a glorious resurrection slash Easter day. Yes, yes. I have a couple of things that I want to share. Just because I thought they were funny. Go for it. So um, this morning, uh, I was on my way to the gym. I've been trying to get back into the gym and get Look my health you. on. Get my fitness I'm so on. proud Woo-hoo. of you. Thank you. So, um, and I'm as I, I drink a mimosa. I know. <laughs> I was going to say it all went down the drain. It evens out in the end. That's right. And it's so funny because in the gym, it says 20 minutes is one more pint. I'm like, fuck, I'm never going to catch up. <laughs> I'm like 80 pints behind. <laughs> so, so when I was driving down, it's the... It's the Methodist church that I pass on the way to Publix. Is there on I'm the thinking. left? Yes. Chapin Methodist or Chapin something Methodist. like that? Chapin Methodist, yes. So I'm driving down. It's like uh, 9.30 in the morning, 9.45. So I'm assuming there's a, like a 10 o'clock 
Oh, probably. It's yeah. Mass or yeah, session yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. about to it start. Is. Yeah. A lot of traffic. So I turn and I look. What the hell are you people wearing to church is what I want to know. Oh, what the fuck is happening? The dudes, you guys keep doing what you do. I love the vest. I love the press shirts. I love the seer sucker. Yes. I I love love me a Southern. All of that. And and even the, even to you dudes who are flip flops and casual kudos, do you boo boo. But women, what's going on? Why are we wearing backless Uh, anything to Easter to Easter? A backless dress? Yes. No, it was a do, backless onesie. Do they there think there was no the back in it? It was and it was bright ass yellow. Maybe okay. it's colors. It was bright yellow, and um, it was it looked like it was a onesie with no back. Not a onesie, but like to a church. Well, I mean, she she maybe she took a left before she got the door <laughs> to the door, but coming. she was walking towards the door. <laughs> I mean, I was driving by, and there were, and I just looked, and I'm like, did wow, did she have a hat? She did not have a hat on. Mm-mm. But then I was looking around and I'm like, all right, ladies, do gooder. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Wear what you want. Blah, blah, blah. Come on. I mean, I there are certain things that you can wear and some things that you can wear and you shouldn't. And it sounds to me like she's in the shouldn't category. Well, let me be, let me be a little more clear. She looked good. It wasn't that the outfit did not look good on yeah, her. Yeah, but are you going to a picnic? But the outfit was not appropriate. The prom. <laughs> she was going. But a that was barbecue, like, or are you going to church? I mean, come on, yeah. I I, I don't. I feel like. But that's there were other. There were other people there, and I, you know, you don't. You can worship in your living room. Well, then stay home. Worship yeah, in your put, living room. Put that shit on in, in your living room and dance around. But with as many people that are that go to that church, yeah, my guess is yeah. that. She wasn't just going there for God and Jesus, baby. <laughs> she was resurrecting some love. <laughs> she was doing something dirty. Blasphemy. Love it. We are in the South. Blasphemy. The hell. Also, um, I want your opinion on this. So, <laughs> uh, on uh, what the pod was that? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Barrett always says something a little smarmy about either myself or Zach. And sometimes sure. it's not smarmy, just like, oh, uh, co-host, Carrie, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. So um, he said that uh, basically to the only person in this room who has given birth to another living human being, and she never lets us live it down, Carrie Simmons. I'm like, oh. <gasps> <laughs> Why? Barrett, we're talking about you. So that's wrong on every <laughs> level, Bear. Right. So then I thought about it, and I'm like, well, he's, he's not wrong because I'm a, literally about to say Charles and Chandler's name. So um, you're not wrong, Barrett, uh, but I will try to do better. So what I'm going to say is yes. this morning on my way over to my beautiful baby's home. Right. Um, I was taking their baskets over for, for Easter yeah. morning. I still give Easter baskets. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I got it. them it's, all set out on the table. It's and silly, stupid stuff for, for them, for my kids. Sure. Um, because they're older. But yeah, do okay. your kids like, I mean, what do you get for them? Um, they got Cadbury eggs, jelly beans. Um, if you say fucking peeps. Oh, gross. Thank you. I would not subject my children <laughs> to that madness. That's. Have you seen the giant bleh. peeps now? Yes, they're gross. And I'm sorry, at anybody. Me. I never say at me, but at me. I yeah, will have a discussion about the peeps. I will fight you in the street. <laughs> Beat you like a bitch in the street. I am not a peep fan. Never have, never will. And vomit. I don't care if it's the last fucking thing it's on a marshmallow, the planet to right? eat. It's gross. It's a marshmallow. And, and, and God only knows how long that marshmallow has been sitting there since 1982. Oh, hey, we can shape this into a bunny. So it's a, a m- tractor. 
I don't. I I I, I want to know how they get the sugar. A computer. To stick. Is it a marshmallow that they lick and then roll around in sugar? <laughs> it is. You got an assembly line <laughs> full of people licking, licking, and then rolling. They're like, "Hey, I'm gonna see if it sticks to the wall. Ah, that one works. Let's put in some sugar on it. Let's." Push it down the assembly line. So this one shapes it into a nipple. This one's playing bunny rabbit. This one's it's they're it's, they're hideous. I fucking gross. hate them. Take them off. And I I know because I think we have some like we have diehard fruitcake fans. There's diehard peat fans. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, I had a roommate. I shit you not. And I lived with three guys. All right, mind you, one of them was my boyfriend. Shocker. One of them was my boyfriend. So, anyway, but one morning we woke up because we lived in a duplex, and the girls on one side, one of them was screwing something. I, whatever. I can't even say this is PG because I know we're not, but we get it. There's a situation going on with my other room, with my roommate, right? So. Wake up one morning, he had like a Honda Civic. Now, mind you, the trees on King Street in downtown Columbia, they're the, you know, the shitty ones and they're dropping crap all I over call your them car. Oaks. Yeah, they like drop crap all over your car. Anyway, and so it's hard to get off. That's what she said. So this dumb whore. What do we, what do we, and <laughs> I am saying that because I would literally kill this chick. She took a, I don't know, 17,000 packs of peeps and covered your car, not my car, but my roommate's car full of peeps. He had one big peep mobile. Now, mind you, fucking hero. Who is this chick? Oh, no, no. It took the paint off of his car. How long did it take him to realize that there were peeps on it? I mean, mind you, you had the crap from the trees. That just you, it, it was like a fucking super glue <laughs> that took peep to paint. She probably just and sprayed then, it with water and then just, oh, dude, you I know, mean, guys, I want, if, if there's ever an <laughs> influx of peeps in Chapin or Lexington, South Carolina, <laughs> I want you to know, uh, peeps.com, that I will be doing this to somebody's, somebody's car, car that you hate because it literally, I'm I, thinking literally of all the places I'm about to drive this week. It <laughs> took the paint <laughs> off of the hood of his car. I kid you not. Please tell me there's a picture. I need a picture. I well, need I mean, this was like in 19... Let me tell you, if somebody did that to somebody that I knew... Cameras didn't exist. I would, ca- phone cameras didn't exist. <laughs> Your little know. click and sc- scroll Yeah, existed. my little, my 110 camera. No. Okay, let me, let me, let me go back. Okay, so this other story. I'm on my way to Charles and Chandler's house. I got their shit in the trunk of my car to tell them, oh my God. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Resurrection Day. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I turn onto the last road before we turn into before I turn into their neighborhood, and I look to the left. Like like I said, it's a beautiful day here today. It's fucking beautiful, and I'm like, oh look, there's this. I mean, it's a beautiful. I just see this black. It looked like a long haired German Shepherd. Best case that I could tell. Anyway, my point is, it was a big ass dog. Sure. And I'm like, man, he's moving. He's really moving up the sidewalk. And then I look about six or seven feet behind him. There's this little tiny Asian woman. And she's being <laughs> drugged by this fucking oh, dog up the road. And all I could do is hit the gas and LOL. Because <laughs> like, you want to see that dog like, <laughs> like make that woman fly. Now, I should have <laughs> rolled down my window and been like, here, buddy. Come on, baby. Like, it was 
Y'all want to see her fly? Does she have her arms out like Superman? So if you're thinking that Carrie's a bitch, yes. She is. Yes, I, am. I can confirm. Um, but I have fun. So those are my two stories. I wanted to share them. I thought that like I got a huge chuckle out of both of them. They're funny. Thank you for sharing. And they both happened today. So what are we talking about? So today, I've got a little bit of a mashup. Um, I've got... We're going to talk a little bit about a lake. I love a mashup. Um, and then um, towards the end or midway in of the episode, uh, we're going to switch over some heavy shit. Okay, cool. Um, so I want to start out... I. Found. I can't wait to. Um, I can't wait to hear you pronounce this. I know. You're fuck it up. Oh no, I got and it. And I'm not even. Oh, okay. I got this. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I love when the words that come out of Chrissy's mouth do not <laughs> match the facial expressions <laughs> that are currently being displayed to me. Um, because I understand, as listeners, you cannot see what I'm witnessing, but it's hilarious. It's Oscar worthy. <laughs> so, um, I mean, not Chris Rock. Will Smith, Oscar worthy. Keep my wife's <laughs> name out, out your, your mouth. Fucking mouth. Did he say fucking mouth? He did. Oh, yeah. I couldn't. I thought he did. I, I could. It was cringeworthy for me, so yeah. I couldn't watch the whole. Like I, I didn't watch watched it. him walk all the way up there, but then he, when he went to slap Chris Rock, <laughs> I was like, "This is this feels a little bit like it's unnecessary." Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna stop, and we're gonna go to the next thing. Fast forward. Right to the next thing. Yeah, so anyway. Um, okay, so this, we're going to talk about Lake Runkakama. I'm going to pronounce it that way, whether you there like it or not. We can always um, just call it Lake Runk. Oh, we could Lake do that. Gronk, which, Gronk. Mm, uh, okay, Lake, Lake, Lake Runk. Lake Runk. It's, yeah. So, um, the we're going to talk about this lake first. It's in uh, Long Island. Um, so... Woohoo to all of our Long Island folks out there. Um, I, you guys probably know more about this than I do. It's just. Oh, yeah. You know, that's right. If you, if there are any listeners that have any perspective about it, let us know. Yeah. So the myths and legends surrounding Lake uh, Runkakama um, would be easy to dismiss um, as silly superstition were it not for the eerie reality. For many decades, someone has drowned in the lake almost every year. And in fact, uh, the lake has been the site of 160 drownings with only three of them, from what I can, you know, found out researching, um, being female since the mid-1800s to the 1970s. Well, you know, we are smarter. I know. Well, I mean, we and clearly we can swim. Um, plus, <laughs> there's 30 additional drownings <laughs> after 1970, and those were all male. So, so then almost 200 total. Yeah. There's right, is the, my math right? Um, yeah. Well, it's, I, I think the 160 drownings were total. Oh, got it. So 30 of those, um, 30 plus of those That's were after lot. the 19, yeah, after the 1970s. So, um, so Lake Runkakama, um, I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. I feel like I'm not. I'm going to give it a go. Let me see. Runkakama. Runkakama. Kankuma. There you go. Wrong Kankuma. Well, one of those. One of us is right. One of, we're or both we're both wrong. wrong. Right. Um, anyway, it's the Long Island's biggest and deepest lake. Uh, for some time, Indians thought the lake was bottomless because people who have drowned there um, would often just disappear. Their bodies would never be recovered. 
do you know what I um and I'm not specific to this lake, mm-hmm. but from what I understand with lakes that are I'm assuming the average temperature of that lake is cooler just because where it's at. It, yeah. So when they're cooler, they I, they don't give up their bodies as quickly right. like our lake does. Oh Remember yeah. The guy that we that worked with us that died. It took when yes. he drowned. It was like within typically was within, within seventy two hours the yep. body resurfaces somewhere. Well, because you've got a a northern lake plus um, it's coming off the mountain. You got a lot of water drainage. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 chilly water. It's going to be cold. cold. It's yeah. going to be cold. Um, and it's in the Sound, so the Long Island Sound. So you're you're Talking about big water, mm-hmm. um, not far. So, um, so people couldn't be recovered. Um, however, there are um, myths that persist. The lake is certainly not bottomless. Um, it, that's been determined. Um, it, no. Yeah, it has. Um, it measures about 100 feet at its deepest, deepest point. Um, with the edges being around 7, or excuse me, 10 feet, and then at some point there's like a, a deep like steep drop off that's about 45 feet um once you get off that 10 foot ledge um and and I'm just compare like comparing that to our lake and I say our um where Carrie yeah. and I live um the deepest part is like 160 um yeah. almost 200 feet which I think is close to the dam yeah that's what the that's what it popped up on the boat correct I'm yeah. assuming that's still accurate that is correct yeah so um our lake is man-made um, it's not natural at all. Um, it was a man-made lake and yeah, deepest point is probably a little bit over, um, 200 if, if not right there at 200 feet. So in, in reality, this lake is not that deep. However, I don't know anywhere in Lake Murray, you know, where we are, where there's a 45 foot drop off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. That's extreme. Not that. It's not that extreme. No, uh, uh. So a couple of interesting facts um, that play into the story of the lake. Um, people believe that the lake contained um, and, and does currently contain secret underwater connections uh, to other bodies of water um, like the Great South Bay or the Long Island Sound. And, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the bodies end up way over in the Sound, close to Connecticut, if people oh, wow. drown. Yeah, so um, the keep water, or cool water keeps them down. They may go through a tunnel, and, you know, God only knows where they end up after that. So um, people living around the lake have always been perplexed by the tendency of the water level to rise and fall with no relationship uh, to the rainfall. So they could have virtually no rainfall at all and then seven feet rise in the water which is very strange um but i think that goes to and may speak to some of the tunnels and things under under the water the tunnels and um did you say that there's where where does the water come from that's so cold so well i'm assuming yeah so and 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 sorry i kind of focused on the story a little bit i should probably done a little bit more no 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 that's but yeah i mean you're you're looking at the sound that goes into big water um, Atlantic Ocean. So you're you're talking about probably some cold water current, you know, up yeah. underneath. Um, so 
before we get into the mystery, we need to go way back in time and discuss why the lake is shrouded in death. This is what I'm excited about. So the most prevalent legend is about Princess Tuscawanta. She's an Indian princess who died at the lake in the mid-1600s. One version of the story is that she was walking across the ice one winter when she met and fell in love with an English woodcutter named Hugh Birdsall, who lived across the lake. However, her father, and he's a chief of the Sustaquat tribe. You guys... Um, and, and don't at me because I mispronounce. The best part, <laughs> some of the best parts of this is just like, listen to me. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> let's see because I, I can, can see that. the spelling, and I'm like, man, she's missing this all the way across. Sa, ta, He was the chief of one of the local tribes up there. There you go. But um, he forbade their relationship. So every what, did he forbade. Yeah, he forbade it. He said, "I forbid." Thank you. He forbidden. I feel like forbade, forbade is probably the correct way, but who fucking says that? I said it. <laughs> <laughs> he forbade it. Okay, go ahead. Damn it. So every day for seven years, she would write letters on a piece of bark, um, row to the middle of the lake, and then float the letters across the lake to Hugh. That's romantic. Isn't it? I don't know how she made sure it got to the other side unless she was like right there at the edge and she was like blowing... She probably understood a little bit more than we do today mm. about how the water flows in that lake. All right, Pocahontas. But <laughs> anyway, so she's she's floating some bark across the lake. Then after all those years of being kept uh, apart from her love, she rode to the middle of the lake and just decided to stab herself in the heart. So... Ooh. Well, I mean, think about her. So it, this it's is the mid-1600s. Like, yeah. How else are you going to do it in the middle of the lake? I, it, yeah, I don't know. Fight or flight, right? If you if you jumped into a lake, I, mean, I think your gonna... body's going to automatically try to keep you alive. Correct. So she was like, you know what? I'm going to stab myself. My dad won't let me be with him. He's and 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 there's also an understanding that he may have died. So okay, you may have died, and she's upset. Her loved one is gone, and she's pissed off. Yeah. She has no one to float bark to. I mean, in the end. She's writing on bark and nobody's receiving it. So <laughs> it pissed me off too. I mean, imagine how hard it is to write on a piece of bark. <laughs> Let's be honest. So, um, but there are variations of this particular story, such as that princess drowned herself after learning her lover's death and that her body washed up in Connecticut, which ties to the idea again that the lake is bottom- bottomless and that there's some underground, underground channels on um that leads to other to lakes. Some other lakes. Yeah. So while there's no proof the princess ever existed, um, there actually was a man named Hugh Birdsall. Um, and he eventually moved back to England and got married there. So I don't know, maybe it was like this Shocker. love affair. Figures. Yeah, and he was like, screw this chick. She's writing I'm letters out, whatever. On bark. I got like I got some cheap ass bark over here. Come on, you right. know, Indian, you can do better than this. What the hell? Exactly. Can I get a corn husk or something? But no, I got some bark. Fuck you. He was like, I'm going back to England. So now whether he left Princess, um, you know, high and dry is debatable. But the premise of the story across the board is that she lost a man. So she's pissed. And, you know, what do we know about women scorned? Well, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you from experience. Same, same. So I'm not, you know, Southern for my health. 
<laughs> you know. I do. So, in any case, the story goes back um, to where she claims a boy's life every year to either avenge her lover's death or, if the story is true, get back what she lost and find herself a soulmate in death. So, sadly, though, statistics back up this quote-unquote, quote, curse of all the recorded drownings on this lake, the vast majority have been young males. Um, one such lifeguard on his first week of the job dove off the diving board um, and actually came up with a body on top of him. He didn't know it. Um, what the fuck did he think he was? Well, he had dove into the water. He's swimming, swimming. He comes back up and there's a body like, like close to him. Um, and it, he didn't know it, but somebody had drowned in the water and I guess their body had just kind of started resurfacing. Thinking about it is probably getting warm. The water's getting warm and it's mm-hmm. body is finally releasing those gases that, you know, help us, you know, float when you're dead. So, um, but he came up, found the body. And he was like, yeah, deuces. I'm out. out. He quit. <laughs> he quit that same day. Um, residents say that there are so many drownings that hearing the sound of a helicopter flying overhead is the telltale sign that another drowning has occurred. Wow. So think about people's anxiety and you hear that, you know, helicopter circling we again. We couldn't live there because we'd be like, get your camera. Uh, no way. Showtime, baby. Carrie, oh my God, you got to come over more now. Podcast number 250 <laughs> coming up, people. Right. So... Um, there is this guy, um, David, I, I will, he's actually a doctor, Dr. David S. Um, Igneri. Igneri. And he was the head lifeguard at Lake Ronkakama, um, for 32 summers and says there were at least 30 deaths during that time, all males. Um, wow, that totally, that totally checks, right? Yeah. Absolutely. On program Weird U.S., which aired on the History Channel back in 2005, um, Igneri explains that one of the biggest challenges was that the visibility in the lake is non-existent after about the first 10 feet. So if anyone submerges lower than that, no one will be able to rescue the person because the lake becomes enveloped in total blackness. And, and, and you know, I compare that to our lake yeah. Um. After about ten feet, it is. It's you probably can't less see, than that at our lake. You cannot see Jack squat, especially if it's a cloudy day. Yeah, right? it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Um. But the lake has been thought um to may have contained again the water underwater tunnels, um that lead out to the Long Island Sound. Many people who have drowned aren't discovered until weeks and weeks later, and um not anywhere close to the drowning site. So that's where we're seeing. Folks found in Connecticut. Um, so I I don't know how the current works in this lake. Yeah, I mean, that's a... that's a, But it's it's definitely not a stagnant... That's a stretch. Lake. It's, it's water. You've got water flowing everywhere. So in 1965, Igneri had a reoccurring nightmare about trying to complete a rescue. He dives deep into the lake and panicked because he lost his orientation. When he got to the surface, he heard fireworks. Although Igneri was not previously interested in the paranormal, he began, or he believed his dream was a warning that someone was going to drown on the 4th of July. And that was because of the fireworks and just little clues in his dream. He was like, something's going to happen. Um, he warned his staff of 11 lifeguards, and sure enough, 
late that afternoon, an epileptic 15-year-old boy had a seizure and went down in the water. The lifeguards dove for 45 minutes and did everything they could um, but could not find the boy. As Igneri swam back to the surface after his last dive, fireworks went off. How creepy is that? So that is an actual story, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he had this premonition that somebody was going to die. And yeah. They died. And somebody died. So Igneri had his um, own brush with um, Princess Tuscawanta. About four or five years ago, he said he was swimming toward a local bar and grill on the edge of the lake known as the Lighthouse. And when he got close, he found himself just swimming in place. Um, quote, and then I get picked up and I get thrown back, he said. Um, the legend does say that the princess lives in the deep hole near the lighthouse. Um, and that's where I was, end quote. Many people. We need go. to take a trip. I know. I, I, I thought about that. No, no, we're doing that. But <laughs> note, the lake is inhabitable. You cannot go swimming in it. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, many people believe that the princess is exacting her revenge and taking her anger out on innocent civilians. She comes out of the depths of the underground tunnels and then pulls them down into the murky waters because she's looking for her damn soulmate. I mean, again, woman scorned. That's all I'm going to say. In um, the afterlife. If you guys thought it was bad in real life. I know. Test us in the afterlife. to the afterlife. Bitches be crazy. Oh, my God. So the Long Island Paranormal Investigators, um, they take a particular interest in the lake as well, and partly because the group is based in Ronkakama. Um, They've been investigating urban legends, homes, and businesses for signs of paranormal activity for seven years using a host of instruments that include um, those Geiger counters, Thermometers, cameras. All the stuff we don't have. Yeah. That we um, want. The motion <laughs> sensors, wind meters, voltage meters, and um, ion counters. So their ongoing investigations at the lake, um, unfortunately, have been inconclusive. So they have no proof. But they don't. But they don't discount. Have Wait, does it do not. But they, you know what I'm trying to it say. It didn't discount They don't anything. slash do have proof. Yeah, exactly. So we use electromagnetic um, field meters, and this is a quote, um, because current theories indicate that a spirit manifesting will either give off an electrical field higher than what is the normal reading, or that a spirit may use the the current electrical field in order um, to manifest itself, which would alter the reading. Do you know what we haven't talked about? I mean, literally until this episode, in my mind spirits right in the water are just like what yeah no like, that's interesting does that even like, exist does that happen i don't know you've never I mean, you I've don't seen, see a lot of that you yeah don't, yeah so it's i'm i'm struggling and i'm gonna say a little bit with reality even though we we live in this world mm-hmm. for whatever reason i'm like the water the water kind of makes it all go away so i would imagine <laughs> that these this equipment yeah. is probably Doesn't. not tracking like it should right is if there was no it's not conducive to the yeah. water no agreed um quote while at the lake we observe we observe higher emf fields than what we would have expected to encounter however we remain unsure if this was caused by buried or nearby electrical power lines nearby homes or businesses or something else end quote 
So this guy, um, Robert Levine, um, and he is the group's co-founder. Um, and he isn't convinced that there's a curse, um, despite the drownings. Um, he seems to think that because the lake is larger and deeper than many people realize, and that combined with alcohol can spell out a disaster waiting to happen for some people. So he, interestingly enough, he's, he's a little skeptical about the curse itself. For me, that's a lot of people drowning every year well, yeah. for no reason and men at that. I'd like to see the statistics on like the 15-year-old kid who is epileptic. Right. Um, I'm assuming he didn't have alcohol in his system, right? I so would hope not. Out of the 160 or whatever people, right. how many that we've recovered had have, alcohol in their know, system? There's there's like a ton of stats that I want to see on this. My brain is the wheels are grinding. Turning. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know in our in our case in our lake, most of the deaths actually involved alcohol. Oh yeah. Um, we've got we have a party lake for those of you who are not familiar with where we're at. Um, Lake Murray is one big party. Um, and you'll see folks out there trolling around, but I I would I would guess most boats, 90% of boats have alcohol on them. <laughs> Even well, though hell, you're not supposed always to. Did. Oh god, yeah. We had lots of alcohol on the boats. So, okay, so um, another person who agrees with Robert is our author Michael R. R. Ebert, who must be the foremost authority on the legends of Lake Ronkakama. He published the spiral-bound book, The Curse of Lake Ronkakama, in 2002, and it's actually available. Um, you, can, you can get it online. Um, and he believes... Um, that it's also probably not the curse um, and, and just seems to think that it's coincidental um, and due to alcohol. Um, but the first time he remembers hearing about the lake's curse was when he attended Ronkakama Junior High School in the early 1990s, and one of his classmates actually drowned in the lake. Um, quote, if I remember correctly, he and some friends were supposedly drinking beer on a rowboat and were horsing around when he fell in and was unable to swim to shore due to his bulky winter clothes, end quote. I mean, how can we say that's not the curse, though? Well, exactly. And what the hell are you doing on a boat in the winter? I'm just going to throw that out Fish. there. Fishing? Maybe are so. You, are you familiar with our lake? Fishing. He's fishing. Fishing, yeah. I But a rowboat? Yeah. Ugh. I mean, all right. I wouldn't be on a rowboat in Lake Murray. Shit, no. And I'm assuming... This lake, I wouldn't be on. Not a unless I'm like in a cove and I'm in not cove, moving right. anywhere else. Yeah, but I wouldn't. So, but this was back in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, a couple kids out there, whatever, hanging out. Fair. Like, hey, what are you doing? Let's go on a rowboat. Let's go, let's go take Dad's boat and yeah. toss a pole in the water. Well, or when I'm just... thinking like rowboat, I'm thinking, yeah, like literally a canoe with exactly. some rows. Yeah. Like I'm thinking like the rows, old oars. <laughs> I'm thinking like the old YMCA boats yeah. that you would. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. what I'm thinking okay. about. So after Ebert's college graduation, he searched for more information about the lake's legends and local history books, but found very little, which convinced him to write the book um, on his own. He spent about six months visiting libraries and the Lake Ronkakama Historical Society to research articles, maps, and geography 
geographical studies dating back to the early uh, 1900s. In addition to the stories about uh, the princess in the bottomless lake, um, Ebert also found several other mysteries, such as the way the lake rises and falls uh, with no relation to local rainfall, as I said in the beginning. The Indians believed it to to be the work of um, Mentitos. Mentitos. Um, the great spirit of the lake. Um, one study showed that over seven years in the early 1900s, the rainfall on Long Island was below the usual average by about 52 inches, um, yet the lake rose about seven feet. That's interesting. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm wondering if that has to do with the ocean and, you know, if it's feeding from the ocean... I would assume that that's going to cause the lake to rise, but I'm not a right marine biologist by any means or a lake biologist. <laughs> I don't know if that's what they are, but um, anyway. <laughs> I think you had it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and then there were the rumors of, quote, healing properties of the lake, supposedly started by a Brooklyn businessman who wanted to capitalize on the lake's appeal as a local tourist attraction in the 1900s. Well, the guy even reportedly sold lake juice in small vials. And I found an old ad promoting the lake as a health resort that cured diseases, end quote, says Ebert. Lake juice. I like that. We should start doing that. Um, yeah. Lake so juice. But I'm thinking putting some alcohol in it. Lake juice on our website. Uh, don't ask us any questions. It's got healing properties. It's got healing properties. It sure does. It'll cure a hangover. Um, so whether you we have believe, the patch for that, well, I forgot about those. So, uh, whether you believe the lake will heal what ails you or that a vengeful princess spirit is out there waiting to drown you, there's no denying that Lake Ronkakama is one of the Long Island's most whispered about points of interest. So, um, what I found out was as of 2018, the lake is not safe to swim due to algae bloom. So there must be a ton of algae yeah. um, and you're I mean, going to choke on it if you're swimming. Yeah. Yeah. So in March 2020, another victim of the lake was discovered. Uh, actually, this time it was a woman. Uh, she was found floating in the lake with no indication of how she drowned. Um, since then, um, there have I wasn't able to find any more recorded deaths. Um, but that doesn't mean that the lake hasn't you know, taken a life. We just haven't been able to pinpoint anyone so i don't know specifically what algae bloom is although just the words i'm assuming i think i understand i'm wondering if it's anything like the red tide and like the tampa and the bay area on the Uh west side of florida right because that is pretty you know it's pretty intense down there so and i would imagine that it it just it's it skims the top um and here's a picture um guys if 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 you're wondering what it is and unable to look it up at the moment, um, it's basically your I thought about. your your lake is green, yeah, um, and it's a it's a thick skin like covering, it's an abundance of yeah algae, it, yeah it's it's too much and you wouldn't be able to swim in it, um, it just wouldn't be safe. Um, but the next part uh, I want to talk about in this episode um, is a little disturbing. Um, it's got some disturbing content. And I want to stress that if you or someone you love is experiencing suicidal thoughts, please, please seek help. Um, You can always call 1-800-273-8255. 
24 hours a day, seven days a week and talk to somebody. Absolutely. So that said, let's get to it. Um, we are going to talk about the suicide forest. So um, my pronunciation is absolutely horrific. I have tried to listen to this multiple times yesterday, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to try and get this done. But um, it's, um, it, you know what? I'm going to let you take a stab at that. <laughs> and you know what? I haven't seen any any ways to pronounce this, but I'm going to go with um, the Oikikara yeah. forest. Absolutely. And I, and I only, this has been something that's been on my list for a while that's really intrigued me, which I probably did not pronounce it correctly. No, you did good. You good did stab. good. Um, so I've heard it a few times, mm-hmm. but I am super excited about this. Yes, place. you were, you were spot on. Um, and it's also called the Sea of Trees and it sits right along the edge of Mount Fuji, uh, roughly a two hour drive west of Tokyo. The forest grew on the remains of the last um, volcanic eruption, which took place about 864 years ago. And it covers 3,500 acres. So it's a very, very, very big forest. Um, It's called the Sea of Trees because for whatever reason, the trees grow so close together that visitors spend most of their time in darkness as the trees let in virtually no light. So imagine walking in, and I, I, I mean, we have, I feel like most of us have walked in woods before. You at least see some light coming through, um, but the trees are just so very close together that you look up, it's, it's semi-darkness. It's I mean, this is um, in all of my role-playing fantasies, so yeah. I'm in heaven right now. Yeah, so it's, it's super dark, um, and... Um, what's also so very noticeable is the forest has a very eerie silence. Um, there's virtually, um, not a lot of, um, uh, of, I'm thinking animals, <laughs> um, wildlife. Um, so there's not a lot of sounds going on there. Um, and it's sad that hearing one's own breath and breathing is as loud as a roar because it is so quiet. Um, at the interest of the forest, um, a sign reminds visitors that, quote, life is a precious gift, end quote, um, from their parents. And, quote, quietly think once more about your parents, siblings, or children. So that's what the sign quote. says as you're going this to This is the... a sign that says in Japanese. That they have yes. up for, just to kind of Everyone. lay in the land, right? So yes. you're walking into a trailhead and it's like, hey, don't yeah. kill yourself. Your so family loves you. What I understand is there's kind of like two parts of the park. Um, it's kind of split up. There's a big parking area. Um, and yeah, you've got a lot of people who are camping. Um, and then you've got a area where... You can virtually just get lost. Yeah. Um, it's so... I have so many questions, but I'm going to shut up because I think you're going to answer them. Because, you know, I told you, I'm like, I, yeah, I'm excited about uh, this please, one. Please, please. Um, no, no, I feel like I feel like you're going to get into it, and I don't want to ruin it for people. So there's also another quote um, and sign. It says, please don't suffer alone and reach out first, end quote. So uh, there's a lot of warning going into this forest, um, and, and we're going to talk about why. So, in 1960, author um, Seicho Matsumoto 
wrote the novel Tower of Wave, um, where Matsumoto tells the story of two lovers who walk into the, it's Ui, Ukihara Forest. Um, Chrissy's over here trying to roll her R's. And uh, commit suicide. Um, and it seems romantic, right? I mean, it seems no. like something <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. I mean, I like, right? the, but I don't want to die. Well, no, nobody wants to. Well, I won't say nobody, but yeah, I mean, in this instance, yeah. But I mean, you're thinking of movies. It's romantic. We're going to go into this forest. We're going to kill ourselves. So I feel like one of us has a really wrong definition of romantic. Oh, well, no. <laughs> I'm Shakespearean, right? And uh, I like it. So in reality, the forest is a place of isolation and finalization. Um, after the Tower of Wave was written, people saw a rise in suicides in the forest because... So after the novel. Yes, this man romanticized the fact that I'm going to... We're going to kill ourselves with this pack. That we're gonna I do did it. not know. Yes, we're going to go into this forest. And yeah, so you saw a rise in suicides after this novel was so it was glamorized now it's glamorous yes and that's just the start so another author by the name of watura surumi surumi um wrote on the quote hardness of living in japanese society end quote and titled his novel the complete manual of suicide now, this book is actually a manual for killing oneself. Like, it it steps through so much detail. Um, and although Stuart Remy doesn't outwardly encourage people to commit suicide, he does rate the pain, gruesomeness of the body, and failure of different suicide attempts. So he goes through... A lot of information. So if you're wanting to, somebody could absolutely get this no. book and and read through it. It's 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 really kind of freaky. Um, he poses the question, why must one live? And then lays out each possible form of suicide. It's easy for someone to determine the easiest, least painful way to go without the author coming right out and saying it. And he lists 11 ways to kill yourself, ranging from overdosing to freezing yourself. So Surumi describes the forest as the perfect place to die. He describes how to drive to the forest and where the best place is to go and never be found. Because a lot of these people are going to the forest to do this deed without being caught. Because they know if they're caught, someone's going to try and stop them. And they just don't want to be found. So a couple of interesting statistics here. In, um, in between the years 2013 and 2015, uh, the forest is the resting place for more than 100 people every year. Um, that's only a drop in the bucket. Um, so for Japanese um, and Japan's staggering suicide rate, which in 2019 had the second highest rate of developed countries. Um, in 2021, 20,000 people in Japan committed suicide in a population of 126 million, with economic issues being the leading cause, um, and then followed by, you know, terminal cancer, health issues, that kind of thing. 
In fact, every 15 minutes, a Japanese man commits suicide. Holy crap. In 2008, after the Lehman Brothers Bank went bankrupt, the number of suicides rose so much that the government labeled it as an epidemic. Um, mental illness is also, it's not something that is openly discussed in Japan due to the stigma and lack of um, inadequate healthcare systems. So you've got a lot of people struggling that aren't able to talk openly and freely about, um, you know, their feelings, um, which is, you know, can lead to suicide. Yeah. So um, upon entry of the forest, people will generally tie a blue and white rope on the edge of the path that they're going to walk um, with it for a few hundred meters. And this is just so that they can find their way out. Um, because again, the, the trees are so put together, you know, so closely, it's hard to navigate in the forest. Um, and as I mentioned the, uh, before, it's extremely dark, um, due to the lack of sun and it's easy to get lost or turned around. People can end up going in circles and some parts of the forest are completely filled with these blue and white ropes just to help people get out. That's what I was going to say. I read at one time that people who knew that they were going to go to the suicide forest to commit suicide would use the rope. They would tie it somewhere at the beginning of a trailhead somewhere. They'd walk in. They oftentimes would contemplate whether or not this was something that they wanted Wanted to do. Right. And then if they didn't kill themselves, they could get out. But if they did, someone else could find them. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of people who actually go in and camp for a few days in the forest trying to contemplate and make a decision as to whether or not they want to commit suicide. So they tie these ropes, they set up their camp, they camp out a couple of days, and then they make the decision, okay, yes, I am, or no, I'm not. And right. in which case that rope would help them get their, you know, find their yeah. way out. I'd imagine that it's, it's difficult once you, like if you, you're not going to walk into a forest and like sit on a trail and kill yourself. You want, I would imagine some peace some and privacy. Quiet and privacy yeah. So you're right. well off the beaten path. At exactly. This point. Yep. So there are also shoes, um, empty bottles, pill packets, and as mentioned, you know, ropes that adorn the foliage within the forest in there. I mean, it's easy for somebody who's hiking to stumble upon those items. Um, In a study of failed suicides, the people that traveled there to commit the final act said that they chose the forest due to its very remote location, and they'd be able to die successfully without being noticed. Because as you said, people want privacy. They don't want, you know, most people um, aren't going to do it in a large crowd. They don't want people knowing that that's what they're going to do because they don't want people to change their minds. And with so many others having died before them, it's like dying with a group of people. It's almost like a club. Hey, I'm, I'm going to the forest to do this. So many other people have done it before. It's been romanticized, uh, glamorized in these novels. And, and so, yeah, this is where I'm going to go do it. So, um, and, and you're not dying alone, you know, one could say you're dying where other people have died. Yes. And I think that's don't say romantic. No, do I was not say, say that. <laughs> that's what's attractive to other to other people. Well, n- no, because because it's glamorous at that point. And I'm saying glamorous, like I, you know, I don't mean it's in the movies. I don't mean. I mean, clearly, it's in a couple of books, but right. it's been glamorized to a certain extent. 
Oh, absolutely. And people are drawn to the, not only the. As a friend of mine would say. Um, you know, big lights attract assholes. <laughs> that is very, I'm glad that you used that in a sentence. Or uh, suicidal true. people. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely. That's morbid. for you, Boston Rob. Boston Rob. Rob, you wicked smart, man. You wicked smart. So the forced morbid past plays into its present day reputation. Um, there is a ritual called Uba Sute, um, and it's a ritual of choosing an elderly family member um, in times of struggle and when food is scarce and was scarce. You're you're Don't actually say it. you're choosing. Yeah, this is it's really messed up. But you're choosing the most elderly family member. Um, you're taking them deep into a remote area, i.e. the uh, suicide force, and you leave them to there to die. It doesn't go unnoticed to me um, that it's usually a woman who they end up, you know, dumping off. Um, in my opinion, men eat more than women, generally speaking. So <laughs> Typically, why? But, but in that what area, you, they're all little, so I don't uh, even know. Right? I, so, I mean. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and... You know, I, I personally think, you know, why wouldn't you want to drop off the most or the person who is the most gluttonous? This is terrible. Um, but I digress. So, um, <laughs> While historians say that cine, it's, it's cinicide is actually what the name of that is um, in clinical terms, um, is probably not common. The forest is tied um, to this horrid deed. And like I said, there's always some truth in most rumors. Someone likely took their elderly mother there. And to never be heard from again. Okay. I'm just going to say right here that you know that I may not have the best relationship with my mother, but would I ever, if you ever hear me say I've booked a trip for me and my mom. To to, suicide for us? Well, I wouldn't say that. But if you're (laughs) anywhere in Asia, just be like, uh, what do you do? I would never do that. Does she eat a lot? No. (laughs) She does not. Um, she's crazy. I don't know if that counts, but she doesn't eat a lot. Well, then there will be no suicide, I guess, for her. But, you know, I mean, I could see if she ate a lot and you want to leave her behind and save some money. I mean, but, I, all right, so what's the tier? <laughs> if you don't eat a lot, what's the next thing? You're super old and you're a pain in my ass okay, and I that, don't want to carry that tracks. you. <laughs> that tracks. Then, okay, never mind. So that now leads us to Yuri. Or ghosts. So Japanese word is yuri. Um, It's said that visitors are haunted by the vengeful yuri of the elderly who were left to starve. Which I'd be pissed too. You leave my ass to starve because I ate too much and I'm old. (laughs) I'm going to haunt you. I'm still struggling with the eat too much. I mean, I, I don't know if they eat too much. That's just me saying that. But it, it, it was literally, it's the, the the whole point of that ritual, um, the Yubasute um, ritual is, it's in times of suffering, you, this person's lived their life, they're elderly, they they I need wish to, you could guys. I wish you guys could see my face as I look up they, at Chrissy. And they, look, it's not Chrissy's. Away. It's I, not I, Chrissy's thoughts. I know that this is. I didn't come up with it. No, I, mean, I know, but I'm, I'm looking at her with like. <laughs> it's horrible, but yes, that's it's it's uh, cynicide. It's 
It's somebody who kills their parents. And so that's, you know, I guess you got mothers who kill their children, fathers who kill their children, and genocide, mamicide, <laughs> whatever there's a I don't know when they're gone. But this is genocide. So, yeah, but so the Yuri come back. Um, and they are, they haunt those people that are in the forest. So folks who go visit and maybe walk the trails have to be on the lookout for ghosts of those departed too soon and maybe having regretted their decision to take their life, you know, their own life. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings us back full circle to the present where folks have been found, um, in the forest to be, you know, that's their place they want to go to die in private, uh, local police, volunteers, and journalists walk throughout the forest looking to save the lives of those who are attempting suicide in the forest. So they actually have teams that go out and, and go through the forest um, looking for folks that are on the verge of, of uh, suicide. So in 2004, 108 bodies were found in varying decaying states uh, within the forest. Now, mind you, that 108 was only what people were able to find. That doesn't mean... Um, that there were, you know, a bunch more deep in the forest that were never accounted for. And, uh, you know, it, I don't know what the percentage would be or how you would even calculate that, but let's just assume that it's there's a, a percentage of people who uh, we will never, ever, ever know. It's it's not uncommon um, that... This is the 3,500 yep. acres, right? Or oh, 3,500 3, acres, yeah. yep. Um, that could be under roots. Um, they're taken away by animals or buried so deep in the woods that they just will never be located again. Um, in t- 2010, 247 people attempted suicide in the forest, but only 54 um, were actually successful, which is, is to me a huge differing number. But yeah. um, I don't know if that's because there were people out there stopping people. I mean, you're going to do it and somebody pops out behind the bushes and goes, stop. <laughs> I don't know how that works. But in general, um, hanging is the most popular form of demise with a uh, drug overdose um, coming in at a close second. So more recently, the Japanese government has decided against releasing suicide numbers as they feel suicide is on the rise and they feel that sharing numbers with the public is glorifying and making the forest more attractive to those contemplating suicide. Well, you can see why they would think that, even though I think that they're, they're, they're more culturally specific over there, for lack of a better term, right? But, you know, you had these two books that glamorized this forest. Right. And now we have a massive amount of people. And, and I don't know that you're going to get to this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. There are people that travel specifically from other parts of the world to kill themselves. Yeah, you're, um, interesting um, you say that. But yes, it, um, statistics show, which we'll, we'll see here in a little bit um, in the next piece of this episode. Um, in this particular instance, people travel way outside of their where they live, yeah. um, uh, uh, close to Mount Fuji to commit suicide in this forest. So, so it's, it's interesting. So I wouldn't, I mean, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not shocked by, by what they're trying to do. Like we're not right. going to glamorize. We're not going to post our stats. Right. Because it's already, here's what's happened the last time some dick wrote a book about it. Exactly. You know, I, right. I get it. And although I think that, you know, come on, work on your, um, 
suicide hotline. Let's get help for people over there in Japan. Let's get let's get mm-hmm. shit together. You know, they could clearly do more things to help people. Absolutely. But um, I understand the logic. Oh yeah, you don't. Well, it's like giving a serial killer the fame. Exactly. You don't want to publicize it, um, and it just makes it that more glamorous. So it, as the saying goes, not all who wander are lost or well. They don't think they are anyway. Right. And that's especially true for visitors of the forest who aren't necessarily wanting to kill themselves, but are just curious as to, as to the secrets the forest holds. Um, should, you to, should you decide to visit and stray from the well-worn trails, you'd likely find reminders of those who chose to call the forest their final resting place. People's belongings likely to be seen um, are scattered around moss-covered shoes, photographs, briefcases, notes, um, and ripped clothing have all been discovered on the floor of the forest. And that's not to mention the bones of those um, that have taken their lives have, have often been found off, you know, the well-worn trails. Unfortunately for one YouTuber, uh, Logan Paul, his attempt to share the forest alive with his following got more than he bargained for and captured a dead man hanging in the trees. Now, I actually remember this when it happened, and this dumbass. And while we're all for the macabre, I mean, you both, uh, us two, um, we love the macabre, obviously. Um, You have to draw the line somewhere. Um, A concept that was clearly foreign to this guy. Um, His tone-deaf reaction, um, he was actually laughing on the video, and his close-up um, capture of the individual in the tree, and probably more so the laughter than anything else, not so much, you know, seeing somebody hanging in the tree, because you're not going to know that. But his laughter caused a huge uproar, and his following went from a lot to nil pretty quickly. Good. Um, he's an idiot. He ended up... Uh, you know, donating a whole bunch of money to um, suicide prevention, which is good for him. Um, But yeah, just the fact that you're laughing and maybe it was his nervousness. Um, I don't know what I'd do if I saw somebody hanging from a tree. I'm pretty sure I know you. Your first reaction is not, I mean, you're going to fucking scream and I'm going to punch you in the face. because I probably would. I probably would. I mean, it's funny that you've played this out because I'm, I'm no, thinking. No, I know. I I'm remember like, the, the bird in uh, Key West. So yeah, I would have screamed. I, I don't think anybody that I know our first reaction. Yeah, I saw that. Right? It's going to be to laugh. No. And then, hey, guess what? I'm recording and um I laughed. Let's post it. Yeah, I mean, he and and, and that's what I don't understand. Unless it was going live at the time. And it may have been, I don't know that specific, but it just shows, I mean, if it wasn't live, that just goes to show how stupid you are in that you know you're laughing and then you post it. Exactly. You're extremely extremely toned up. Um, but anyway, suicide is, is obviously not a laughing matter. We're not laughing about it. And while we are sitting here talking about it, it's the why I think that everybody is curious about, like what drove you to that point that you felt like you couldn't hang on anymore. I think, um, I have personal experiences and I think everybody oh, absolutely. probably does with, with suicide. Same. And, yep. um, there's just some people have just internal demons that, right. that win. Uh, and the subject, I, I mean, to me is foreign I, and foreign to, I think most of us and those struggling with depression and mental illness struggle with the question that, 
you know, Sarimi so eloquently asked is why must one live on a daily basis? Like what, what is the purpose? And I think so many people struggle with that. When I think, I think people need to quit focusing on why struggle with something. Why not? You have the answer. Well, right. It's you don't have the answer. Why should we not live? Well, I mean, you can, you, you can, can take that question it. and flip it around Absolutely. really quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, that segment. Yeah, so um, the next segment um, is a little bit more, more detailed. Um, we're going to talk about the Golden Gate Bridge. So San Francisco, California, home of rice San Francisco tree. That's right. So um, wine and the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, the Golden Gate Bridge is known for its massiveness, um, beauty, and sadly, where more people go to end their life than anywhere else in the world. Even more than the suicide forest? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's there. Yes. Surprisingly. Um, the bridge was. I like how we're building here. I know. You like it? Mm-hmm. Uh, strategery. <laughs> the bridge was built in 1937. And it set the world record at the time for being the longest main suspension bridge in the world. And wait, can I just stop you right here and Please. just tell you one? Um, tell me. I've been on the Golden Gate Bridge. Have you? Yeah. So when I was working in oh, Charleston, right. I my client was in California. So I was in Southern. I forgot about that. And then yeah. I went up to Sonoma Valley. That's right. So we had to drive up to Sonoma Valley. And... I was super freaking, I would have wicked excited Were about. You? And now I, yeah, because w- my whole project team, we all flew in separately. So I would normally, because we'd go for about a week. Yeah. So I'd fly in on Sunday, I'd get settled, and then I'd be there. You know, you until were a couple Thursday. days extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Till yeah. Thursday or Friday, and then fly back. Yeah. But the first time that I had to go to Sonoma. I was really excited. I'll be honest with you. I never, never cared about going to California. Yeah. But. Going to that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I okay, I can't fly into Sonoma. I'm gonna fly into San Francisco. Right. I'm gonna go over the Golden Gate Bridge and then I'm gonna go up there. And coming around, I don't know how to explain, but you can see it in the distance. And you, you know, I you get chills and you're excited. I was so disappointed. Were you? It is it is one, it's 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 insanely busy. Right. And the bridge structurally is beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's tiny. It's like a micro bridge now. It's little. It Is does. It? it wasn't as maybe I built it up too much in my mind. You're thinking it's like the London Bridge. <laughs> I, w- I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking yeah. because you you see it in pictures and right and it, it looks, looks massive, massive and it's right. huge. And I'm not saying it's a tiny micro bridge, mm-hmm. um, but it just. It wasn't as big as I thought it would be. The landscape around it is beautiful. It's, right. It's, but I just was like, oh, man, is that it? And then you go over <laughs> it, and then they mail you a, a, um, a, a ticket. Well, no, they, they <laughs> ma- because you have to pay to go over There's Oh, toll yeah, to it's a toll, it. yeah. And they ma- they automatically mail it to you, right? They're like, they snap the your tag, and they mail it to you, because I could not even imagine uh, how they would you know, collect a toll I was going to say, it would take forever. But something that they have is really cool, and this yeah. will be the last thing, and then we're going to get back to it, but but they have, um, depending on the time of day and the traffic flow, right? So right. coming one way across the bridge, you're going to get more traffic than coming the other way. Sure. Right? Early in the morning, and then, of course, after work. After work. They do have this really cool, I don't know, our listeners will probably know what it is, but it's this machine, and it funnels these um, movable 
barricades. Mm-hmm. So it goes in and it will just automatically adjust them to give an extra lane to the side of traffic that's more busy. Oh, so it's it looks like it it looks like a interesting uh, a road tractor. I don't know how else uh-huh. to describe it. And it just it just makes another lane. Well, it takes it goes over the barricades, right? Uh-huh. And then the barricades adjust okay automatically to open up another lane on one side and then shut down another lane and it's slow it's not like it's zipping through when people right you know gotta move over it was really interesting but I just wasn't like super fascinated and thrilled with the bridge well it, uh I, I know no, I feel like it's buzzkill no but. no no I am terrified of bridges I I hate them I know you think I'm crazy but I hate them I cannot I I have um, anxiety when I go over them. Well, this is a baby bridge. The um, Ravenel in Charleston. I, I love that bridge. Hate it. Um, I had to drive across the Tappan Zee Bridge in going um, up north in New York, and yeah. I, I probably went five miles an hour. Um, I was like the driving Miss Daisy situation. People just wanted to push you off the bridge. Oh like, my just god! Go they ahead were and like, crash just your fucking car exactly. into the river and let's get it over with. Yeah, just get the hell off um, because I I white knuckled the whole way. I just, I'm not a fan of bridges. I don't know, maybe in a former life I died on a bridge. I have no idea, but I just hate them. <laughs> okay, back to the story. So, digress. So, the bill, the bridge was built in 1937. Um, as I said, it is, um, it was the longest main suspension bridge at the time. So, yeah, 1937, yep. it was majestic, I'm yeah. sure. Um, it's, it's beat out now by New York City's um, Verrazano um, Narrows Bridge, um, which opened in 1964. Um, and then in 2019, the Akashi um, Kai, I, I don't know, it's some bridge in Japan, which is huge, apparently. And it actually boasts um, the world's largest, um, or excuse me, longest span. So, um so you got two bridges now that are, are much bigger than the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. But um, the Golden Gate spans um, 1.7 miles and has two giant towers between uh, which connect the San Francisco Bay and the Pacific Ocean. You know, 1.7 miles sounds like that's a little it's less really, than our dam. Why I was going to say. So sl- well, in my mind, I'm like, it just seemed like I was let down for some reason. Because you built it up in your head, dear. Oh. I, you probably built it up. I clearly because uh, you're like, whatever. 1.7 miles is, you know, uh, 1.7 is not bad. I well, know. I mean, I was going to say, I, look at the Ravenel. It's, uh, that's. I love the Ravenel. It's beautiful. It's a suspension bridge. It's, it's as big, if not yeah. bigger. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's still big. Well, on our dam going, I know it's not a bridge, right? I know a dam it's is not a, a bridge. bridge. Like, you know, it's not suspended and you don't have pillars or whatever holds a fucking bridge up. But that's two point something miles. It is. I've walked it going across. So yeah, it's three and a half total. Okay. I think. Yep. So it's it's a pretty big bridge. The Golden Gate is still a, a big bridge. You've got the two giant towers that I think help make it up. It kind of reminiscent of like, I don't know, London Bridge maybe. Um, during the building of the bridge, though, nineteen men were saved as a result of a safety net suspended under the floor of the bridge. That was 10 feet wider than the bridge's width. So you've got some barrier there that if you were to fall off, you're going to be caught by a net. And these men became known as, quote, halfway to hell club. 
So nice. I guess, yeah, I know. I, I thought that was pretty cute. Um, and while 19 were saved, um, 11 men sadly lost their lives um, during the construction. Um, now, the deck of the bridge is about 245 feet above water, which is, in my opinion, very tall. That's, yeah. that's a long way down. Um, if you were to fall or jump off the deck of the bridge, you'd hit the water at about 75 miles per hour. And that is fucking fast, folks. Um, down south, you can drive 70. Um, that's the speed limit. Um, and 75, 80, that, you're pushing it. That's, that's, you're hauling ass. Um, so imagine going in your car at 75 miles an hour um, and hitting a tree. Nope. No, thank you. Um, so that's, and, and, and you're thinking about it in more, um, you know, detailed terms, that's 220 feet in four seconds. That's how fast you drop. Um, and while I've been known to think that hitting water couldn't be all that bad, it's just water. Um, you'd be wrong. Your body is going to pick up speed as it drops. And once you hit the water, your body is likely to die from the trauma it endured by hitting the water. Your internal organs are going to burst, break, whatever. Um, you're going to have a whole lot of internal damage. Um, the last few seconds of your life is wrought with terror, knowing you're going to die. Um, those that do survive um, the initial plunge, which actually averaged to about, I've heard anywhere from 5 to 15%, um, will either die from drowning or hypothermia um, because the water is cold. Um, the pain upon hitting the water would be so agonizing that you likely pass out. Um, the water temperature never gets out of the 50s. And that's in the summer months as well as winter. And the depths of the bay um, are 375 feet. And that's, that is a significant amount of water underneath you. Um, not to mention, there are 11 types of sharks lurking around in the bay. So if you do survive, um, you're going to likely have to look out for sharks and other creepy fish in the water. So what d would deter me is the 75 mile per hour yeah. slam into a uh, glass. I think that it's like glass at that point. I think, um, that's not terrifying. promoting suicide by any means, but there are probably easier ways to go. Less painful, <laughs> painful ways. ways, but it's, and, and we'll talk about this, but it was a, it's a sure way to die. Um, and according to Wikipedia, between 1937 and 2012, more than 1,400 bodies were recovered. And that doesn't count the ones that have not been recovered um, from the cold waters under the Golden Gate Bridge. In 2013, 118 people were counseled off the bridge and didn't jump. jump. And as of 2013, 34 people actually survived after jumping and lived to tell the tale. And that's, I mean... To me, that's only a 2% survival rate right there. I don't know where people are getting 5 to 15%. But um, in comparison to the suicide for forest, which has about 30 suicides a year, the Golden Gate Bridge has about 35 a year. So Golden Gate, Gate Bridge is a little bit um, more, uh, yeah. I guess, has more people flocking to it. Um, and the average age of jumpers is under 40, um, with about 10% being in their teenage years. 
The youngest life to jump from the bridge was a five-year-old child named Marilyn DeMott in 1945, whose father told her to jump, and he followed her. Um, They later found a note in his car that said, my daughter and I have committed suicide. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, um, students make up most of the suicides from the bridge with teachers coming in second um, as the list of occupations that jump, I guess. Maybe being teacher is stressful. Uh, Students, I don't know. Um, Of all the survivors that jumped and lived, um, said that as soon as they jumped over the side, they realized they didn't want to die. They wanted to live as soon as they jumped. Um, They chose the bridge thinking it would be a quick and easy way to die. Uh, It's noted that most people who decide to actually jump live in the Bay Area. And did not do their research. Yeah, clearly. And um, only a very small percentage travel to the Bay um, as their final resting place. Unlike we were talking about the suicide forest where people travel all over to go there. Uh, Golden Gate Bridge, it's usually folks that are living around that Bay Area. Jumpers found the bridge easily accessible for those wanting to end their life. There are parking lots at both ends of the bridge, um, a pedestrian walkway, and the kicker right now, um, and, and it's being fixed, but only there's only a four-foot high fence separating one from the edge of death. Um, and so four feet, I can jump over that. That's like a hurdle. Yeah, but if you really want to kill track. yourself, or, I mean, 10 feet, I mean, exactly. you're going to do it. No, agreed. Oh, God, guess what? They built a 10-foot fence. I'm going to go um, home and do something else. Yep. Um, it wasn't until 2018 that the city of San, Fran- San Francisco decided to do something to, present, to prevent jumpers from throwing themselves off the bridge to their most certain death. The nonprofit Bridge Rail Foundation is helping to support the suicide deterrent system, also known as the safety net, to keep people from jumping. Engineers designed the net to minimize the impacts of bridge views, because that's important, um, and appearance, as well as to minimize interference with the daily operations and maintenance of the structure. The net will be, um, be placed 20 feet below the sidewalk, and it's going to extend 20 feet out from the bridge. So if you're trying to jump far, that net is going to catch you. Um, and the net is expected to be completed in 2023. I think it got delayed due to COVID and some other things. But it I'm sorry, it almost took 100 years for you to build a net. I don't, I don't get I it. I don't think we should have to build a fucking net. But that's another discussion. Yeah, that, we'll talk about that in another episode. So despite prevention teams being on site, because they do just like the suicide forest, they go in, they try to stop people from committing suicide. Um, And they have signs mounted everywhere telling people to contact their local clerk crisis center for help if they are uh, contemplating suicide. But if one's mind is made up, just like you said, sadly, I don't think any number of signs are going to deter somebody from jumping it's, it's sad but it's reality it and is. reality sometimes fucking sucks it is life is life um the first recorded suicide was a little after the bridge's opening in 1937 a 47 year old world war one veteran named arnold wabber took a bus to the bridge uh, he was on a casual stroll with a connecticut professor who was in san francisco on vacation 
During his walk with the professor, Wobber took off his coat and vest and basically just threw it at his companion and said, quote, this is where I get off. I'm going to jump. Now, I don't know what I would do <laughs> because at, at that time I'd be like, what the hell is happening? Um, but the professor attempted to grab the man's belt um, to stop him, but Wobber um, was able to get away and plunge to his death. Afterward, it was discovered that the man was a victim of quote-unquote shell shock and undergoing mental treatment. Um, in 1954, a man by the name as Charles S. Gallagher Sr. was director of the San Jose Merchants Association in San Jose, California. Um, after returning from two weeks of vacation, he discovered his the audit in his company began before he left was ongoing still. So Gallagher told his co-workers he was leaving briefly to get coffee. Well, rather than doing so, he drove to the north side of the Golden Gate Bridge, parked, and jumped. Four days later, Gallagher's 24-year-old son, Charles S. Gallagher Jr., drove the same sedan owned by his father to the same area and jumped from approximately the same location. He was a med student at UCLA, and he left a note that said, I am sorry, dot, 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 I want to keep my dad company. So I, I know we you know, need to get on here, but I just want to say, people, if you're contemplating suicide, you're, once you kill yourself, you're done. You're, you don't know, I know from a personal experience what that experience is like yeah. for everyone else that you've left behind. And the people that care about you are left struggling. Absolutely. Why? What did I do? Whatever. And if you think that your suicide is not going to directly impact a hundred people or more, you're mistaken. I agree. Period. I agree. I mean, it's just think about <laughs> suicide that. is a, is, is it's forever. It's selfish. It is selfish. But again, there's also demons that people deal with. Absolutely. I don't know that I'm I'm able to judge right. on this particular yeah. subject. I mean, and it might sound like I'm judging, and maybe I am from my personal experiences, but it's painful. Absolutely. It's very painful. So there's a story that I find most interesting on this particular um, subject uh, relative to the Golden Gate Bridge. On January 28th, 1993, a man named Stephen Page murdered his wife, Nancy, and then threw his daughter, Kelly, off the Golden Alive? Gate Bridge before jumping off the bridge himself. Correct. He tossed his daughter, like, correct. I, I love you, it baby. It was like, <laughs> here you go. We're on the bridge. There's a four feet wall. Douche. How, do, do we know how old she was? Was she like six months? Was she 12? Um, she, I, she I know what say was she happening. Was, yeah. So, oh. so Paige worked as a buyer at Awaga Mune Nursery in Fremont, California. Um, the Paige family home was in Fremont, but Paige maintained a separate apartment because he and his wife had been separated. Um, at 10 a.m. on January 28, Paige drove to their Fremont house and murdered his wife with a 12-gauge shotgun. He then left a message for his mother-in-law to pick up his nine-year-old stepson from school. Um, after arriving, 
at the Page home, she discovered the body of her daughter. So she had been shot with a 12-gauge. Um, Paige, after killing his wife, drove their three-year-old daughter, answer your question, Kelly, to the Golden Gate Bridge. So highway patrol officers noticed Paige was walking along the bridge carrying a bundle, and they recognized it to be a small child. So he's just kind of leisurely walking around. Um, but after being approached by the officers because of his unusual behavior, Kelly um, was then thrown over the railing um, by her father. And, um, and then Paige himself then climbed over the railing himself and jumped off. Uh, following the incident, investigators were pu- puzzled by Paige's apparent lack of psychological indicators prior to the murder-suicide. He was completely normal. There was nothing going on. Um, now, granted, him and his wife were separated, but it didn't. he wasn't acting erratic or anything like that. He was just carrying his child. Now, U.S. Coast Guard spokesperson Shelley Fryer stated that the USCG had recovered uh, the bodies of both father and daughter by the next day on January 29th. An apology letter addressed to Paige's stepson, who who was at the school at the time, and he was unscathed. Um, they didn't Thank God. take him. Yep. At the time of all three deaths, um, was found at the family home. In the letter, Paige apologized for what he had done, showing premeditation uh, for both murders of his wife and daughter, as well as his suicide. So in that same year, though, interestingly enough, um, 1993, Roy Raymond, who was the founder of Victoria's Secret, uh, died after jumping to his death off the bridge. And he was only 46. Interesting. Yeah, I don't, I didn't get a lot of information off him because I didn't want to drag this episode out for five years. But um, I don't know what was going on with him. But yeah, he, he just wanted to end it. Um. On May 11th, 2004, Jean Sprague, Sprague, a native of San Mateo, California, committed suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge himself. His death is documented in the 2006 film, The Bridge. I don't know if, if any of our viewers have seen that. I've heard of it. I don't know if I watched it or not. I've seen so many damn documentaries. Um, but it's basically about the Golden Gate Bridge and folks, um, you know, killing themselves. Um, during the filming of the bridge, the crew noted um, that Sprague was walking back and forth along the bridge for about 90 minutes before he stopped to lean over the railing. Um, and then according to Eric Steele, which is the film's director, um, Sprague, Sprague um, behavior, his, it was normal enough to not uh, you know, attract any attention um, and, or like alert any of the on, um, set suicide prevention teams. It was just completely normal. Um, as seen in the end of the film, after watching the water for a minute or two, the guy pulls himself over the railing, stood up and fell backwards. Um, like I'm the king of the world situation. Yeah. Um, into the San Francisco Bay. So I want to talk really quickly about some survivors. So, According to David S. Rosen, um, MD of San Francisco, in a paper he wrote and I found online um, in 1975 about suicide survivors of the Golden Gate Bridge, survivors he interviewed, there were six of them, um, um, and there was nine total, I think, at the time, but he only interviewed the six, have said that the fall to the water seemed to take forever. 
Uh, this phenomenon has been reported in almost 75% of people undergoing sudden near-death experiences, interestingly enough. Um, surprisingly, most jumpers, um, and this includes mountain climbers as well, have said that falling uh, was not scary in the least, but almost euphoric and pleasant, which is interesting. Don't know that I want to experience that, but no, um, <laughs> um, all six of the survivors uh, that he interviewed planned their deaths at the Golden Gate Bridge and had not contemplated anywhere else. And if asked um, if that bridge was not available, what would they have done? They would not. They were said to, I, I just wouldn't have. I'll wait until it's available. Yeah, I'll wait until something's available. Um. Five of the survivors were men, and only one was a woman. Uh, their ages ranged at the time from 16 to 36. One was married, one was divorced, and the rest were single. Only three were in psychiatric treatment, um, meaning there were, you know, three other people that were of sound mind, I guess. Um, three of the six survivors that Rosen interviewed knew that they weren't going to die once they jumped. They just knew, they had this feeling that they just were not going to die. Um, all but two of the survivors blacked out before they hit the water. Um, it was reported that all six survivors interviewed and jumped feet first and suffered minor injuries um, as opposed to somebody who would have, like, broken a million bones. Um, now, there's a particular of an, an individual who... Um, did not um, die as a result of his suicide attempt. His name is Kevin Hines, and he actually has a book, a movie, um, a website. Um, he is a huge advocate for um, against suicide um, and suicide prevention. But on September 24, 2000, a very paranoid, hallucinating Kevin Hines walked onto the bridge intending to kill himself at the age of 19. Kevin was suffering greatly, um, and he took a bus to the bridge to hopefully end the voices that kept telling him, you must die, jump now. Um, giving into the voices, Kevin threw himself head first over the railing and into the water. He fell 220 feet and landed in a sitting position once he hit the water. So what that meant is that the impact of the water um, and just, you know, the, the pure 75 mile per hour, you know, force was distributed um, to his legs and spine. So three of his vertebrae were shattered, um, lacerating his lower organs, and he broke an ankle in the fall. Um, he bobbed the entire time and um, actually prayed that he wouldn't die, um, telling God he had made a horrible mistake. And as I said, um, some, you know, going back to the folks that um, Dr. Rosen had interviewed, all of them, all six individuals said as soon as they leaped over and let go of that railing, they had wished they had not done that. So, um, it's so, and I'm, I say that just because I know there are folks that are out there wanting to likely in their lives. But, um, if you've got folks that are interviewed saying, God, I really wish I hadn't have done that. Think about that. Um, everything is fixable. Um, but he, he, he sat there and bobbed, um, the coast guard having been told that there was a jumper quickly located him and took him to the hospital in San Francisco where he made a, um, miraculously a full recovery. Um, during an interview, 
Um, he said that there were about um, there was about a millisecond of free fall. Um, in that instant, he immediately regretted his decision. Um, he has since become, as I said, an advocate against suicide and wrote a book about his suicide attempt titled Cracked, Not Broken. He also appeared in the 2006 documentary titled The Bridge shortly after his attempt. And lastly, um, there is a man um, who on March 10, 2011, he was 17 years old. Um, his name was Lou Otter of Villa Gomez, um, and he was from Windsor High School in Windsor, California. He survived a jump from the bridge, breaking his coccyx. Cock, 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 coccyx. Which sucks. <laughs> um, and puncturing one lung. Though he said his attempt was for quote-unquote fun and not suicide. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, the teen was helped ashore by Frederick Lecouture of 55, um, who was suffering, I'm sorry, surfing, excuse me, under the bridge when he saw Villa Gomez jump. The California Highway Patrol recommended the San Francisco district attorney actually charge the student with a misdemeanor for trespassing. Good. Um, a charge that entails climbing a rail, um, or any rail for that matter, cable, suspender rope, tower, or superstructure not intended for public use. Um, punishable by up to a year in the county jail and or a fine um, up to $10,000. And the teenager um, undergo a medical psychiatric evaluation by medical professionals. Although he did see, he said and consistently said it was for fun. And I say idiante. Thank you. Um, same, same. It's scary to think that someone, you know, might be on the edge of their life and contemplating suicide. It's important for us to all be kind. Um, no one knows what's in the picnic basket until you open the lid. Um, and and that is absolutely true of anyone. Um, I know we talk a lot of smack. Um, and, yeah, and we junk. talk a lot of shit. We talk a lot of shit. But um, I do have a soft spot and, um, and, and have, you know, personal experiences, um, felt depression and, um, suicidal feelings, um, as do I think most, uh, people, um, for those of you struggling, please reach out to someone, anyone. Um, there are people out there that absolutely do care regardless of whether you think that they do or not. Um, as I mentioned before, before deciding on a permanent solution to a temporary problem, please call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. They are available 24-7, 365 days a year. Or just go to your local Waffle House. Ash brown, <laughs> smothered, covered, and... Chrissy's face just like... <laughs> like I <laughs> am very... Um, I don't know what to say. It's very, it's sometimes, no, I, I got nothing. You completely made me stumble because it is not often that I have nothing to say. And I, that is a true statement. My eyes went up and I was like, what the fuck just happened? But yeah, go to your Waffle House, um, get a cup of coffee. Um, we appreciate Talk everyone. To those guys. I mean, you guys, trust me. It, I mean, just saying. Like, just do some comparison. And don't get me wrong, Chrissy. You know I fucking love Waffle House. I know. I was going to say. But just just take a fabulous. look around you. Oh, no. Or watch the wonderful whites of West Virginia. Oh, 
what is that? The um, meeting? Oh, all right, all right. We uh, gotta go. We gotta. Yeah, go. we appreciate everyone turning it, tuning in this week, and I hope you have a wonderful Bye. week ahead. Bye. Just remember, be kind, people. Bye. This episode of Status Macabre is recorded live from the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. This episode is produced and engineered by Neek the Geek, owner and operator of GOT Sound Studio. To support the show, please visit statusmacabre.com for links to social media, merchandise, and more. Special thanks to Muff the Producer, Neek the Geek, Barrett Gruber, and you, our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thank you for listening.